Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Um, oh, is that me? Nope. Do I need to come stand over here? Is this better? I'll be honest, I'm not usually up here on Sunday morning, so I don't know all the dead spots where not to stand. I'm sure Brian has it all mapped out somewhere in his mind. Um, and for those of you who don't know me, I am not Brian. Uh, I'm Warren. Uh, I am our uh, college uh, ministry leader. Uh, and so I uh, help out with the college students. Uh, there's not a lot of them here today because it is the first Sunday of spring break. So for the next week, uh, we're probably going to have a lot fewer uh, college students here with us. Um, but it's my work with college students that kind of has me up here talking with you today. Um, today, I normally when I'm up here, when, I, when I'm sharing a message, uh, there's really two kinds of sermons you can do. You can do one straight from the Bible, you know, taking some verses, breaking those down, analyzing those. And um, I've done that a few times when, I, when I've talked up here. But today I wanted to do more of like a Think of like a state of the union. You know, what is the state of these young people, these college students that um, I get to see on a day-to-day basis? Uh, a lot of times you hear the, the buzzword, you know, you hear about Gen Z and how Gen Z is changing and, you know, what is the Gen Z mindset? And so I kind of wanted to talk about that a little bit. Um, and kind of that's the point of this talk is how can we engage Gen Z with the gospel? Um, so before we do that, uh, I'd love to pray, um, invite God uh, to, to just speak during this time and to talk about how uh, we can engage Gen Z with the gospel. So uh, let's pray. Father God, we, uh, we come before you today humbly asking that uh, as your servants that uh, we'd be faithful, um, that we'd be loving, and that we'd be compassionate and patient um, as we think about our friends, uh, the people in our community, uh, even family members we have. Uh, we just want to pray that uh, you would open our eyes to see their needs and to uh, meet them with the gospel where they're at. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So in my time on the college campus, uh, I'll be honest, I've encountered people from all sorts of walks of life. Uh, just about every social, economic background, uh, just about every part of the world, every part of the country. I, I've met people from all over. Um, but as I've had personal talks with them, as I've sat down and, and gotten to know their life story, uh, one thing that I'm consistently finding over and over again uh, is that there's this trend of anxiety and this trend of persistent sadness. Uh, and I'm not the only one who's noticed this. And actually, uh, this is kind of why. Do I need to move this over a little bit? Just a little bit. All right. Are you good? <laughs> Um, this trend of anxiety and sadness uh, really got highlighted recently in a, uh, in a study that the CDC put together, the Center for Disease Control. Uh, Craig, I think I have a graphic of it up here. Uh, every two years, the CDC uh, conducts a survey of high school students. Uh, they do it on a number of risk factors, right? Um, and these risk factors have to do with, you know, Center for Disease Control has to do with health issues uh, because it's uh, tracking trends that uh, could lead to dangerous behavior in young people. Um, and so this got released earlier this month. And if you can read it all the way in the back, I don't know if you can, but it goes through a couple of different uh, statistics for students. Uh, the top line says percentage of students uh, feeling persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness 
2021, that was 42%, or 42%, yeah, experiencing persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness. Um, in 2021, the percentage of high school students who say they're experiencing some sort of uh, poor mental health was 29%. Um, I want to jump down to uh, where it talks about seriously considering uh, attempting suicide, 22%. Have already made a plan to do that is at 18%, or have already attempted it is at 10%. Um, in all of those areas, you'll see those like red stop sign. That means things are going in a negative direction. CDC has been tracking this since, I believe, 1990. I could be wrong on that, but all of these are trending downward. Uh, the only one that is staying level is the percent that were injured by a suicide attempt that needed to be treated by a doctor or nurse, which isn't really much to celebrate, right? Uh, if you go and read the whole article, uh, there's just not a lot of good news for Gen Z uh, in, in the whole study. It's a really fascinating study. I highly recommend it. They don't go into much of what's causing all these issues. They more so say, hey, here's a problem. Here's what's going on in our generation. Um, I, I bring this up because I think that even the secular world is waking up and saying something is seriously wrong with our young people. If even they're recognizing it, surely we got to do something about it, right? Uh, if we want to have any sort of impact on this generation as a church, I think we need to go beyond addressing the issue, how do we help them survive into adulthood? Uh, just helping them survive, helping them get to one more day. Uh, that is important, right? We certainly want to talk about that, but I don't think that's going to address the issue of that persistent sadness that it was talking about there. Um, I think this is how the world kind of approaches it. You know, it tries a lot of uh, ad addressing the symptoms, it feels like. Uh, you know, it, it, it tries to go for, you know, we want more education. We want more self-affirmation. You're good enough. And if you say that over and over again, maybe the problem will fix itself, right? Um, but I think it's more than that. What if our youth aren't just struggling because they have low self-esteem, what if it's not just a surface-level correction? What if we need a drastic and total overhaul of what's going on foundationally on the inside? I think the world wants to treat this mental health crisis uh, by addressing the symptoms of what's going on in the mind. Sorry, is this going to be any better if I put it over here? Yep. Okay. The world wants to treat this mental health crisis by addressing the symptoms and what's going on in the mind. But I think as Christians, we need to go deeper to a soul level. Uh, depression, despair, anxiety, these are all real and genuine mental health issues. Uh, but if we want to address that with biblical, biblical care, uh, we need to go beyond that. Um, so I think that's our goal as a body of Christ, is understanding what's going on, not just the symptoms, but the actual problem, and how do you treat that problem, right? Um, you got to have a good diagnosis before you can give a good uh, prescription, right? And so that's kind of our goal today. Uh, but backing up a little bit, when I talk about Gen Z, I know that's a big buzzword. I know it's all over the news. You know, people talk about that, but what exactly is Gen Z? Um, when you think of Gen Z and you think of like the next big buzzword is millennials, right? Uh, I know a lot of people might have in mind like, oh yeah, millennials, those are like really young people. Millennials are people who were born around the turn of the turn of the millennium and uh, they're still in college right now. Uh, and when you think of Gen Z, you think of younger than that. You might even think of like the bus school kids, right? Who are running around Lincoln, uh, Lincoln and all them. 
but actually, when we talk about Gen Z, most sociologists would say uh, Gen Z is anyone born between 1995 and 2010, which means that on the young end, you have 13-year-olds, uh, uh, so that makes it really easy. You know, they're all the teenagers. Uh, so on the low end, you have 13-year-olds, and on the high end, you have 28-year-olds. So you have people who are already having kids, might even have two kids, uh, and yes, that includes me somewhere in that range, right? Um, so we're talking about Gen Z. We're talking about that group of people. Um, and Craig, I got another image up there. Uh, Gen Z is actually the biggest population right now uh, by generation in the United States. Um, if you see over here way on the end, uh, Gen Z accounts for 25.9% uh, of, the, of the population of the United States. Uh, Gen Z is huge, right? Uh, compared to every other generation, Gen Z, uh, for some reason, just blew up. Um, and that's important because Gen Z isn't just an influence on American culture. Uh, they are becoming the American culture, especially as they grow up, especially as they get older and start graduating high school and college. They are becoming the definition of what American culture is. Where Gen Z goes, America will go as well. And if the church is not influencing them, someone else will. The Bible speaks a lot to understanding the times and knowing what to do in the place and time that God has placed us. Uh, I, I found this verse while I was uh, researching this, and I really loved it. Um, it comes from 1 Chronicles 12, 32. Um, God's talking to the tribe of Issachar, uh, and God commends them. He says, of Issachar, there were men who understood the times and knew what Israel ought to do right? I mean, that's a high compliment from God, you know, like, hey, you guys are doing a great job. You understand the times, and you know what your country must do. The Bible consistently calls the church to action. So if we're going to know what we ought to do, we need to understand the times. Um, and part of understanding the times is knowing how people think, knowing, you know, what assumptions are they bringing to the table? How do they process the world? How do they interpret the events happening around them? All that can be broadly termed as a worldview, right? So to understand Gen Z, I want to highlight three important parts of their worldview. Uh, specifically, how do they interpret the world around them? Uh, how do they interpret the meaning of life? And how do they interpret God? Um, and going back to that CDC article, this isn't going to perfectly answer everything. I, I don't think any one thing, especially in a, in a brief sermon that I'm giving, could ever encapsulate fully what's going on. But I think this should help us understand a little bit go what's going on behind the scenes and deep down. So how does Gen Z interpret the world? Well, for much of Gen Z, uh, the bad times have always been here. Uh, if you look at the generation before us, the millennials, uh, they grew up in the relative, and there's never been a truly utopia, peaceful time, but Gen Z, millennials grew up in the relative peace of the 90s, right? There's peace, prosperity, things were looking good, and then 9-11 happened, and then recession hit, and it destroyed those hopes. Um, they had a good childhood, good upbringing, and then the bad times came as an interruption, uh, this has resulted in a really cynical and really nihilistic generation. Uh, Craig, if I get the next image up, I think this picture does a really good job of summing up the difference between millennials and Gen Z. Uh, over on the left side, you have millennials saying, nothing in life matters, and it leads to sadness, and you know, like, oh man, nothing in life matters, everything's terrible. Um, because they see uh, this pain, tragedy, as an interruption to life. Uh, something that came and destroyed the good times. 
Uh, but Gen Z, on the other hand, grew up in a nation that was marked by tragedy over and over and over again. Uh, we don't know what a pre-9-11 world looks like. I hear my parents sometimes talk about just walking into the, into the airport without TSA, and I'm like, how? <laughs> what does that mean? You know? You know? Um, 9-11 has always been a reality. Uh, the economy has always been down, and the gas prices have always been up. Every time we turn on the news, every time we open our phones, every time we open social media, you see hate crimes, school shootings, and sexual abusers being called out. And then on top of that, just when things couldn't get any worse, a global pandemic comes and hits in the very formative years of our lives. You know, it, two or three years of high school, of college, of making friends, of networking, of interacting, of learning how to have social connections, gone, right? Uh, can you imagine, like, back in your day, when you're in high school, when you're making friends, just all of a sudden, out of the blue, oh, we're going on spring break, and spring break has now lasted for three years. And the friends that I knew, the friends that I thought I was going to see again, all that just wiped out in an instant, right? Um, tragedy doesn't interrupt life for Gen Z. Tragedy is life for Gen Z. Um, and this has led Gen Z away from strict nihilism, right? This idea that there is no meaning to life, nothing matters, depression. Kind of to this idea of what's called the baby brother of nihilism, uh, existentialism, if you want a fancy word for it. Uh, but basically, that idea says nothing in life matters. I'm going to party hard and do what I want, right? Basically, this idea of like, uh, th there's a verse in the Bible that talks about it. Uh, let's eat and drink today for tomorrow we die is kind of the mindset that, that it's talking about there, right? Um, you can do whatever you want with it, and that, that's what makes life so good, and that's what makes life so meaningful. And so um, Gen Z kind of looks at the fact that nothing matters and says there is no wrong answer. Um, and I think that that has a huge impact on how Gen Z views the world, uh, particularly if we're talking about in two specific ways. Uh, one, uh, Gen Z's kind of embraced a general distrust and hostility towards authority. Um, I think that's important to see because uh, it, it's pretty obvious if you think about it. You know, we, we had this big government that's supposed to be our protector and supposed to provide for us, and 9-11 still happened, and the economy was still bad, and uh, police brutality is still happening and being publicly broadcast, right? Um, and so we have this supposedly civilized and educated and benevolent government, but things still haven't changed. Still, things still haven't gotten better. Um, there's a failure to handle... I mean, just look at the whole COVID debacle. You know, there's a failure to handle that, so of course there'd be a deep distrust of authority. Um, this sense of bitterness and mistrust uh, is clearly portrayed on social media, right? Um, because with social media, every user, every single individual person kind of becomes their own publisher of their own personalized news website. And Gen Z is constantly bombarded with real-world events going on. And a lot of the real world, uh, we live in a fallen, broken world. A lot of the real world is sad and tragic and broken. Um, and so every time you open your phone, I mean, it only takes one or two clicks, one or two scrolls, and all of a sudden you're hearing about every shooting, every protest, every real tear that people are having. And, and the impact of seeing that on someone's face, you're not just reading a newspaper article about this, you're seeing people actually on camera cry about it, right? Um, it, it's hard to not empathize with that, and especially when the pain is coming from authority that either didn't prevent the problem or contributed to the problem. You sympathize with the person, not with the power structure, right? Um, and so it's really easy for Gen Z to feel uh, bitter against a authority in that way. 
uh, this bitterness towards authority uh, has also led to a rejection of absolute truth. Um, if these authorities couldn't help solve the problem, if they can't help get us out of the problem, if in fact they grabbed the shovel and dug the problem even deeper sometimes, why should we trust what these authorities have to say when the authority says, hey, this is how you should live, right? Um, our generation finds truth to be much more relative and much more pluralistic. And when I say pluralistic, I mean truth can come from a multiple different sources. Something can be true for that person or true for that person. Um, there doesn't have to be one single rule that's overarching and applying to everyone. Um, so what matters most isn't do this to be a good person, um, because everyone has their own definition of good. I can't tell you what it means to be a good person. I think what matters most is do what you think would make you a good person. Um, and again, there really is no wrong answer to what that means. Every individual is free to construct their own identity, to express themselves however they want. As long as it makes them happy, that's the standard that they're living by. Does it make you happy? Uh, no one has a right to critique you or judge you or say, hey, you're wrong for doing that. Otherwise, you're oppressive for that because you're attacking that fundamental identity of truth. Um, this is made for a really hyper-individualized generation that focuses most on what makes me happy, what is my identity. If you're attacking me, uh, if you're attacking this element of me, you're attacking me personally. And so it's very hyper-individualistic. Um, again, social media is a great representation of what this looks like. Uh, you always want to put your best foot forward on Instagram, right? You take two pictures, one where maybe you've got a little bit of stomach showing and one where, where you look really good. Which one are you going to post, right? Everybody puts their best foot forward naturally. Um, everyone is doing the things that highlights their best image, their best side, their own uniqueness, their own quirks, their own life experiences. Uh, but if everyone's doing this at the exact same time, uh, this idea of absolute truth, this idea that there's only one right way to be a good person starts eroding more and more. Um, and so with all this, it's really difficult for Gen Z to wrap their mind around there being one way that humans should live or one truth that humans should live out uh, because you're hearing constant exposure from uh, people's voices all over the world. Um, so as a brief recap, uh, self-expression is important, right? Uh, the individual, who we are, is important, and that's celebrated. Uh, but without an objective truth outside ourselves, there's no guiding force, there's nothing directing us, telling us what makes that person good, right? Um, at first glance, this might seem really freeing. Uh, that, that's what the image I, I put up there was trying to express, right? Uh, there is no meaning to life, so I can do whatever I want with it. That seems like a really freeing proposition at first. Um, problem is no one can live that way, right? Uh, for as happy, for as flashy, for as much as Gen Z tries to celebrate that, uh, as we saw from the statistics earlier, that doesn't work in the long run. Um, I think Gen Z, uh, when it comes to the meaning of life, I think Gen Z has a really acute and really um, just strong awareness of how small we are on the grand scale. Um, again, looking at social media, uh, if everyone has a, 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 an a account, or most of Gen Z thinks everyone has an account on something, <laughs> um, just even looking at the, the big pool of people who have accounts, you're just one tiny voice among 7 billion people. Gen Z knows that. Um, but, even, but it gets worse than that. Um, Craig, if I could get the next image up. 
you might remember this picture. Uh, it, it was taken in 1990. It's called the pale blue dot image, right? Uh, it's taken by the Voyager 1 spacecraft, you know, billions of miles away from Earth, just out in space. And it looks backward, and it takes one quick uh, picture. And that tiny dot right there, that is us. Uh, yeah, it's amazing. Uh, but it also makes you realize how small you are, right? Uh, all of your hurt, all of your pain, all of your joys, all of your celebrations, every war we've had, every disease we've had, everything minuscule on the grand scope of the universe, right? Uh, from this scale, from this distance, our squabbles, our joys, everything just becomes meaningless, right? Again, look at the date on this, 1990. This was a good five years before sociologists would say Gen Z even started. This has always been a part of the life equation. It's been, we're just tiny. We're just small. Um, and so because of that, Gen Z says, there is no meaning to life. Just do whatever you want. Uh, do what makes you happy. You know, whatever you grow up from the meaninglessness, that is beauty. That is truth for you. Uh, but that quickly falls apart. If life is what I choose it to be, and hyper-individualism tells me I can pick what I want life to be, uh, we enter some big problems really quickly. Uh, if you're telling me that I can pick what I want, then you're also saying that there's no absolutely better reason to dedicate yourself to helping the poor than robbing them. What's the standard? If, if it makes me happy to go rob them, why shouldn't I do that, Right? Uh, living a lifestyle of cheating on your wife over and over again is just as valid as faithful uh, keeping of your vows on your wedding day. You know, if it makes you happy and it doesn't hurt anyone else, you know, if she never finds out about it, what's the big deal, right? Um, going back even further, uh, what's the difference between choosing to continue life or choosing to end life, right? If one of those would make you happier, then why shouldn't you do that? Uh, existentialism, even though it celebrates the individual and even though it celebrates being happy, doesn't have a good answer. It doesn't have a good way of coping with that. So, of course, we have a generation that when they're thinking about meaning and continuing life and, and you know, what should we do? Why does life matter? Of course, we have a generation that's depressed and hopeless. Existentialism can only get you out of bed so, so many times. Living out your own meaning, living out your own truth can only wake you up in the morning excited to go so many times before it all starts feeling frivolous and empty. And I think this is a problem for Gen Z. Uh, I mean, I, clearly I think it's a problem. Um, but I think it's also a problem for Gen Z because of how morally tuned Gen Z is. Uh, when we think about Gen Z, um, it's really easy to think about uh, social justice, right? That's a big word that comes up with Gen Z. Uh, and without going into the politics of it all, Gen Z has an acute sense, an acute feeling that we need to do what's right for people. We need to not do what's wrong against them, right? Um, Gen Z is quick to call out corruption, whether by protesting government, canceling celebrities, or even changing the way that they personally shop, right? Gen Z knows that a fundamental morality exists, but this idea of nothing in life matters, they have no way to ground that. They have no way to make that meaningful and purposeful. You know, the best they can say is, well, this just makes, it makes me happier to be a good person. And uh, when you're one small voice in the ocean, it, it's hard to feel like that's going to make any difference at all. And so they try to have a purpose in life, but they can't ground it in anything real that, that would actually matter. Um, so not surprisingly, uh, this quest for a well-grounded, a meaningful purpose in life 
uh, has led a lot of Gen Z to a renewed interest in spirituality. Um, I think a lot of people in previous generations uh, struggle with this idea of atheism, right? You see all the evils in the world. You see how things are going wrong, and you say, there can't be a God at all, right? We're just complete atheists. Um, I think Gen Z is starting to come around. Uh, Gen Z is maybe the first generation, I think, that's coming around to the idea and saying, there has to be something out there. Because uh, if there is no God, there's no good either. And I want to be a good person, therefore there should be a God, right? Uh, but even with that idea of being open to spirituality, uh, there's still a suspicion towards this authority and a hesitancy to commit to a single truth, right? Um, I think this is pretty clear from, if you look at the statistics of how people identify religiously, uh, it's what a lot of people call the rise of the nuns, right? And I don't mean nuns like the Catholic, you know, the headgear and everything. Uh, I mean nun as in, oh, how do you religiously identify none of the above, Right? that kind of none, right? Uh, whether given the choice between, you know, I believe in a God, I don't believe in a God, or neither, they would pick neither. They're not going to commit one way or another and say, I firmly believe there is no God. They're like, maybe there is, maybe there isn't. I don't know, right? Um, there's, they, they have a vague sense that there's more to just the physical world. Um, there's more here than just that because they know there has to be some sort of justice, uh, but there's a low sense of commitment to organized religion, organized theology, organized religious structures. Um, as a result, if someone believes in, in a God at all from Gen Z, uh, they'll likely be uh, worshiping a God uh, in, a, in a system called moralistic uh, therapeutic deism. Uh, and this affects everybody, even Christians. Craig, if I could get this image up on the screen. Uh, basically, what this says is you're down here, and you believe in a deity. doesn't matter really who the deity is. You believe in something out there. Uh, what this deity requires from you is you should be vaguely moralistic. You should be a good person, uh, whatever that means. Uh, and what the deity gives to you is uh, feel good, right? Therapy, right? Uh, when you're feeling down, when you're feeling low, when you need a little pick-me-up, uh, the purpose of the deity is to make us live good, happy, and fulfilled lives. Um, this isn't any official organized religion. So if you walk up to a Gen Z person, please don't do this. Please don't say, hey, do you believe in moralistic therapeutic deism? <laughs> They're not going to know what you're saying. <laughs> but a lot of times they would say like, yeah, th this has infected a lot of the church. Um, you know, you, s you see this and you're like, oh, uh, I believe in God. God just wants me to be a good person and he'll make me feel good. Uh, and this kind of God can apply to everyone. You know, you'll talk to someone from Gen Z and you're like, oh, do you believe that all people believe in the same God? I'm like, oh, yeah, because all that God wants anywhere in the world is that we just be good people, vaguely, without definition, whatever we consider good. Uh, and he wants us to feel good as well, right? He's here to help us. So it doesn't matter if that's Krishna, Allah, Yahweh, Jesus, doesn't matter. It's all the same God, uh, so it doesn't matter if I commit to it. Uh, it ba basically, it all just means the same thing. Um, the problem with this, uh, the problem with this is it's not a relationship, um, because if God is the one uh, who only gives you validation, only says, hey, you're doing really good, and your morals are just whatever you think that that God would say, um, you're just talking to yourself, right? If, you, if, you've got a, if you've got someone, if you've got a God who never disagrees with you, uh, that God might be a figment of your imagination, 
That, that person just becomes a yes man at that point. You don't actually have a relationship. Uh, it, it, I mean, imagine how much relationship I could actually have with my, my wife, Sarah Grace, if I told her, hey, no matter what I say, I just want you to agree with me. I want you to just say yes. I want you to be my ultimate yes man. Uh, how much do you think I could actually get to know her opinions? How much do you think I could actually see the world how she sees it? If I'm doing something wrong, could she even be able to call me out, right? Uh, at that point, they might as well just be a figment of my imagination, right? Um, if your God only uh, is there to prop you up personally, uh, you might be worshiping yourself. You might be worshiping a mirror. Um, so those are the three important parts of how Gen Z understands the world, right? Um, if we as a church want to reach Gen Z with the gospel, uh, we need to understand fundamentally why they need the gospel, Uh, The gospel is an antidote, right? The gospel is a cure to something that's wrong. Um, But if you go to the hospital and the doctor says, here, take this vial, take this liquid, and doesn't tell you what it is, doesn't tell you what it's going to do, doesn't tell you what it's going to solve, I personally would be very hesitant to put that in my body, right? Uh, Maybe if I really trust the doctor, and I'm like, you know, I've seen your credentials, I've seen how much you study, maybe. Um, But you need to know what's wrong first before you're going to take the antidote. Uh, And we as a church need to be able to accurately diagnose that before we can give a prescription. Uh, So first and foremost, I think we need to present the gospel uh, as a fundamental identity change on the inside and not just a brute fact of the universe, The gospel is something that's more than just true, um, but it's something that can be lived, and it's something that changes you fundamentally. I think for too long, our idea of evangelism is, hey, I'm going to go sit down with this atheist, and I'm going to present him with these uh, 10 facts about the universe uh, that I know, and if I can show him, if I can convince him uh, that God must exist, then they'll become a Christian, right? Um, Because the idea is, if you know God is true, why wouldn't you believe in him? Uh, but in an age where truth is relative, if in an age where truth is whatever seems good to you, whatever is not uncomfortable to you, you could show those facts. And I've done this before. I've, I've sat down with students and I've said, hey, here's uh, all the philosophical arguments. Here's the scientific arguments. Here's all the reasons God must exist and Jesus rose from the dead. And they say, cool, that's true for you. That's good for you, right? And they might even say, yeah, it's highly likely Jesus rose from the grave, but I'm going to do my own thing right? They'll even agree with you on that, but if that's true for you, that doesn't have to be true for me. And so I think more than just showing that God exists, we need to do a good job of showing why God is worthy, right? Um, Is he good? Is he loving? Is he trustworthy? Is he beautiful? To understand that, Gen Z needs to know uh, that the God of Christianity is not just deistic, uh, but revelational, Craig, if I get the next picture, we don't need a deity up there. We need the one true living God up there. That's who we need. We don't just need uh, a God who is spiritual entity or a spiritual energy uh, that we just have to put a label on. We need an actual God who can have relationship. We need the living God of the Bible who has revealed himself to to Abraham, to Moses, to David. The revelational God who self-reveals throughout the history of humanity, ultimately coming in the form of Jesus Christ to live among us and to show us what he's truly like. Um, Secondly, Gen Z needs to know that God is not moralistic. The, The primary things he wants from us is not good morals, but relational, right? Uh, God is not primarily, his fundamental primary interest is not in changing how you behave towards other people, but rather in changing your identity into being a child of his, a change from the inside. 
And when I say this, I don't want to negate the fact that God is supreme authority and the fact that he gives commandments. He does give commandments. I spoke recently to a college student. I was sharing the gospel. I was talking with them, and, and they said, you know, I really don't believe God gives commandments in the Bible. I think he just gives suggestions on how to live better. Um, I think the 10, there's something early on in the Bible. It's 10 suggestions, suggestions right? The 10 suggestions. We're all familiar with that, right? Uh, the 10 commandments uh, is a fundamental part of what the Bible is built on. Um, but even more than that, you look at how Jesus spoke. You know, at one point in the Bible, uh, a teacher of the law comes up to Jesus and says, hey, teacher, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus replies to him, of course, uh, no, you've got it all wrong. There's just suggestion. There are no commandments. Trick question, right? Is that what Jesus says? <laughs> What does Jesus say is the greatest commandment? Yeah. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second commandment is, like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Notice what he did there. He doesn't correct the guy and says, hey, there are no commandments. There's only suggestions. Uh, He, in fact, takes the question, what is the greatest commandment? And he doubles it. He says there's not just one good commandment. There's two that everything hangs on, right? Uh, God does give commands, and he is supreme authority. But notice here what he says is the greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. When God gives commandments, it's based on the premise of love. We're still called to be moralistic, right? Uh, Love your neighbor as yourself, right? That is still a very important part of it, but it's not what God prioritizes most. Uh, God doesn't want us to be blind slaves who just obey and and do what he says, Uh, but he wants us to be sons who obey out of a love for him. Uh, Galatians 4, 7 says, you are no longer slaves, but a son um, in Christ. And so I think this can really help our Gen Z friends uh, jump the hurdle of suspicion towards authority. Because the kind of authority we're most used to is the authority that's top-down, that says, this is what you have to do. Uh, I'm going to be flexing my power. I'm going to be flexing my control over you and and making you do something you don't want to do. Um, But I think uh, what God asks of us is to be transformed into a son that would want to obey. Uh, Someone that, out of respect for the relationship, out of a desire for the relationship, uh, would want to do what is good. Um, This isn't God flexing his authority and making us do stuff uh, simply because it's a whim of his and he feels like it. Um, But out of his infinite wisdom, out of his infinite love for wanting us to be better uh, and experience better life, he's telling us what is good to do. Um, The next point is Gen Z needs to understand that God's influence on our life is not as a therapeutic feel-good God, uh, but a surgical life-changing God. Uh, who improves our character and our identity for the better, right? This isn't therapy we're talking about. This is total surgery. Um, We don't need a a working of the outside to be better. We need a total heart transplant. Um, The Bible consistently talks about this throughout the Bible. Uh, In Deuteronomy 30, uh, Moses talks about how our heart needs to be completely uh, circumcised and changed before God. The prophet Ezekiel says that we need to have our old heart of stone removed and a new heart of flesh put in us. Uh, Paul goes so far as to even say the old self must die and the new self must be born. Christianity isn't about becoming better people. It's It's about becoming new people, right? And that new person is better than the old that's not what makes it new, right? Uh, I think that's going to be a really hard pill to swallow for Gen Z. 
in this hyper-individualistic culture where, you know, you're good enough, you're validated, um, everything about you is worthy, and anybody who criticizes that is wrong, uh, this idea of a hopeless, sinful nature uh, doesn't really go over very well. Uh, But it's necessary to hear. This transformative element of the gospel uh, is the only thing that can bring true meaning and true justice that Gen Z so desperately wants. Um, in Ecclesiastes, if you really want to hear about how meaningless life is, uh, read the book of Ecclesiastes. I think that'll go <laughs> really well with understanding. Uh, but it starts out in verse 2, uh, ch- chapter 1, verse 2. The author says, meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. A strong, strong start to a book, right? <laughs> Um, if you look at that word uh, meaningless there, uh, it, it ultimately translates to something like breath or vapor. Vapor, vapor, everything is vapor, utterly vapor. Um, it might sound a little bit confusing at first, but what the author is trying to say there is uh, it's got no form. It's got no substance. It's like a mirage. You think something is there. It's got like this kind of vapory sense that something is there. But as soon as you reach out to grab it, you're grabbing at air. There's nothing there. Um, look at the next picture on the slideshow. Yeah. Um, with Gen Z, with existentialism, there's ultimate meaning out there, but we can't grasp it. We're too small. Uh, you know, on the grand scale of the, the pale blue dot, we're too tiny to actually grasp meaning. Our lives are too short. We're here one moment, gone the next. We don't have long enough, and we're not quite big enough to grasp op- ultimate meaning. So all we can hope for, all we can do is grasp our own meaning, our own vapor, something that'll fade away quickly and can never satisfy us. But the Bible says that we're not meaningless accidents. We are purposeful servants united to God in Christ. Craig, if I could get the next picture. If we're too small to grasp ultimate meaning, the God who created the universe, he is big enough to grasp ultimate meaning. If our lives are too short, if we have this brief time span and we can't grasp meaning, who's the eternal one who can grasp meaning? He gives us that meaning. Think of it like a flow chart, right? Meaning flows down to Christ and then down to us because he says we are worthy. He says, uh, I chose you before the creation of the world, right? You were important enough to die for. Uh, Because he first loved us, we have an identity. We have a meaning that actually matters now. That isn't based on vapor, but flows down through Christ to us. More than that, uh, we can also uh, reach meaning by going through Christ, Um, we're enabled to bring justice, to bring change to the world in a way that actually matters. When our actions are centered around Christ, uh, when our mindsets, our actions are placed in Christ, when we align with him, we can actually do something meaningful in the world, something that lasts longer than our short, small, uh, vapory lives, right? Um, The Bible talks about uh, those actions that we do in connection with Christ, Uh, store up treasure in heaven, a place where moth and rust cannot destroy, where thieves cannot come and steal it, right? Uh, When we do our actions in Christ, we can reach ultimate meaning and have a meaningful impact. I know I've said the word meaningful a lot, but really I think this resonates really well um, because the only way you can actually have meaning is if you go through the mediator of Christ. Uh, Finally, in a generation that's marked by constant bad news, tragedy, and disaster, I think we need a a big enough understanding of what's coming, a a robust eschatology, you might say, uh, for the real brokenness in the world. We need an understanding of eternity. We need an understanding of what heaven will be like that brings justice to oppressors, that renews the broken, and that brings permanent goodness to a sinful world. 
Um, if you have someone in Gen Z who is depressed, anxious, or despairing, Revelation 21, 4 through 5 makes this promise. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And if we pause right there, that's verse four. I think that's so important. That brings so much hope. But every utopian philosophy promises that, right? Everybody says, if you, follow, if you vote for my politician, if you do this, it'll happen, right? Uh, and no one ever follows through on it. But look what verse five says. Verse five, God keeps talking. Uh, he says, behold, I am making everything new. Write this down. You can count on this. Take it to the bank. This is a check that God is telling us to cash. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is not a utopia dream that, that shatters the moment it touches actual reality. This isn't a politician's promise that leads to bitterness towards authority. This is a promise that will assuredly happen because he who promised it is faithful. Uh, in the meantime, while we're here on earth, uh, we look forward to that day. We look forward to what is coming, and we live in the, what I like to call the, the now, but not yet. Um, that's really summed up well by, by the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus says, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? May on earth, may we live out as we one day will live out in heaven, um, and when we live that way, we can bring real meaningful justice uh, in a way that makes all things new. Um, again, like that, like that image was showing, uh, we have actions that flow through Christ that connect to meaning. Um, so how, 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 do we, how do we engage with Gen Z? Um, I think, you know, if you have friends, coworkers, children, grandchildren, peers, uh, who are in Gen Z, we need to be uh, sharing the gospel verbally. I'm, I'm never going to say that's not a part of it, right? Uh, we do need to, to verbally articulate and invite people to come, but we need to live out why that's so important. Um, in, a, in a generation that's marked by anxiety and despair over what the future will be, we need to be living like we have future hope. Uh, in a generation that's struggling with depression and existentialism, we need to live out of the church that has meaning and purpose. Uh, in a generation where social justice and, and bringing rights to wrong is so important, we need to be a local church that actually cares for our community. Uh, in a generation that's marked by loneliness and fake interactions on social media, we need to be a local church that's full of uh, open fellowship, vulnerability, and working together for a united cause. In a generation that's suicidal, that has already made plans, a lot of them, for how they would actually do it, uh, we need to show them the beauty of living life in Christ, that it goes beyond just uh, your heyday when you're young, but actually growing gray hairs is actually a really beautiful thing. Uh, in a generation that is bitter towards the idea of authority, we need to sh live a life that shows that God is worthy of love. Um, in a lot of that, I'm, I'm really passionate and I'm really excited about the idea of the local church, right? Uh, I don't think Gen Z needs a college church. Gen Z doesn't need to be surrounded by other people who are also young. I think Gen Z needs to be surrounded by people who can pour wisdom into them and show them what a life well lived looks like. Because honestly, with so much uh, plans of ending their own lives, Gen Z needs to see that life is worth living and that life can be beautiful uh, in Christ. Uh, ultimately, I think Gen Z needs to be invited uh, to come and not just hear that it's good news, uh, but like Psalm uh, 34 says, to taste and see that the Lord is good. 
Blessed is the man who takes refuge in the Lord, right? Um, and that's why I'm so passionate. That's why I'm here uh, as a mediator, c- trying to connect our college students to the local church, um, trying to engage our students, trying to form bonds and friendships with um, our college students, our Gen Z, and everyone else in the church. Um, and when we live like that, when we are the local church, when we fulfill that purpose, I think we'll bring hope to our community um, and hope to that part of the community uh, that really feels hopeless. Um, so uh, we like to usually end things with two prayers. Uh, the first one is a prayer of invitation. Um, if you are someone who hasn't put that trust in Christ, maybe you're out there struggling to find meaning, you feel like you're grasping at vapor, um, you haven't had that transformation of identity from being a, uh, not part of God's family to being a child of his, uh, the invitation's out there, the invitation to join that family, to be part of that community. Um, maybe you'd pray a prayer or something like this with me. Father God, I recognize that as an individual, I uh, don't deserve anything. Uh, I can't grasp meaning. My life is short, fleeting, uh, and small. But, but God, I recognize that um, you came down, that you uh, died on the cross, and that you have declared over my life that I, I do have meaning uh, as part of your family. Um, And so, God, transform my identity, transform my heart, uh, make me a child of yours, and make me want to obey from the inside uh, what you say is good. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time today, uh, we'd love to hear about that. Uh, You can tell someone that you came with. Uh, You can tell me at the end of this. You can write it down somewhere and put it in a basket uh, over there in the back. Uh, But basically, it's kind of like a family reunion. Don't think of this like a recruitment thing, like, oh, we want you to be part of the church now. I mean, we do want you to be part of the church, but this is part of the church as a family, right? Think of it like a family reunion, not like you're signing up for uh, a newsletter or something. (laughs) Uh, But for those of us who have already prayed that prayer, whether five seconds ago or five years ago or 50 years ago, uh, we're going to pray a prayer of application, uh, putting to use what we learned about today. Um, And maybe you'd pray something like this with me. Uh, Father God, we recognize that there are a lot of people in our community who uh, experience what uh, Gen Z is going through. Maybe uh, anxiety, uh, maybe struggling to find meaning in life, uh, maybe just bitterness towards, uh, towards you. Um, God, would you make me a light? Uh, would you help me live life in a way that uh, shows the beauty of faithfulness, that shows the beauty of, of knowing you and walking alongside you and makes you someone worth following. God, um, I just want to pray right now for everyone in Gen Z. Um, I know that there is a lot of focus on being spiritual. Uh, as they explore and as they search, would you uh, make yourself revealed? Uh, would you make yourself the end of that journey towards spirituality? Um, and if anybody is open, would you send someone to invite them into the family? Uh, It's in your name we pray, King Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Take it away, Rachel.